One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, everyone. I realise I've done a few episodes now without actually saying my name, so my name's Elle, and I will be your host for this episode of What's the Crack? This episode I sit down with Danielle Smith from Roswell Park in Buffalo, US, and talk about tobacco, e-cigarettes, and a little bit about cannabis. We discuss the different ways of using cannabis and the international differences. We discuss e-cigarettes in youth, flavours in tobacco and e-cigarettes. We discuss the gateway theory of whether using e-cigarettes is a gateway to tobacco use, and we talk about why people use e-cigarettes. We touch on a lot of topics, and I hope you enjoy a whistle-stop tour of tobacco, e-cigarettes, and cannabis. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of What's the Crack? I'm here in Buffalo at Roswell Park, and I'm joined with Danielle Smith. Danielle, could you give me a sentence or two about what you do and who you are? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Danielle Smith. I'm a master's level uh, senior research specialist here at the Department of Health Behavior at Russell Park Comprehensive Cancer Center, and I work on e-cigarette research in the division. Awesome. Very succinct and lovely. <laughs> okay, so I have been looking at your work, and it's quite broad. For example, I've seen stuff that you've done on e-cigarettes, on tobacco, and then tobacco and uh, marijuana. So I'd like, first of all, let's go on your PhD, because sure. you're doing a PhD student. Can you tell me what work you're doing on your PhD? So my um, focus, so I'm a PhD student actually at um, State University of New York at Buffalo Division of Community Health and Health Behavior. So I'm in my second year over there. Mm-hmm. And um, the work that I do over there is looking at uh, modes of delivery mm-hmm. of tobacco and marijuana with a specialized focus on smoked and vaporized um cannabis pocket of people that are using uh, both drugs. So what is the impact of using both of those drugs on um, addiction reinforcement and then on respiratory health? Okay, that's interesting. So is it, um, from what I remember with reading, is like some people will use cannabis and then either with the addiction purposes, like think that they're addicted to cannabis when in fact it's the tobacco that goes in them. Is that a, a kind of thing with the modes of use that you're looking at? Uh, a little bit. So um, I guess one thing that's interesting to note about modes of delivery is that there's a lot of heterogeneity that goes on, and um, a lot of that is geographically specific. Um, so I guess what I thought of when you know when you brought up your last point um, is like rolling a spliff, right? A spliff mm-hmm. is you know you put tobacco and you put marijuana in the same you know product like a joint. Um, that's certainly one thing that's like included in part of my research portfolio, but I'm interested in even the people that don't do that. Um, that's a very like UK phenomenon, European phenomenon, um, you know, more overseas. In the US, you don't get so much of that kind of co-administered behavior, at least in that sense. Um, I'm interested in the folks that, you know, 
they use cannabis, they use a nicotine product, and they just happen to be dual users of the product. And how do those um, dual use behaviors kind of reinforce their, you know, nicotine dependent, you know, their dependence on one of those substances? Great. So, is um, how far into your PhD are you? So, I'm in my second year. I'm really just looking at um, really wonderful data set that we have access to. Um, we, as a research community, anyways, it's called the Population Assessment of Tobacco and Health. It's the largest publicly funded study of tobacco um, in the United States. Um, I and I'm using uh, that data set to look at um, quantity frequency interactions in cigarette and e-cigarette use and how that is um, predictive of substance use behaviors. Could you tell us a bit more about the PATH study? That's the, that's the acronym, right? Yeah, the yeah, PATH yeah, study. study. So the PATH study, um, yeah, it's, it's a machine. I don't even know where to start. It's so large. Um, so the PATH study is a longitudinal cohort study. So what that means is, you know, we... There's, um, there's a giant team at this data collection agency called Westat, and they survey, um, um, and, and by doing that, they can look at all sorts of really interesting relationships in um, you know, tobacco use behaviors over many, many years. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that the particular relevance and some of the novelty of the past study is that you can um, look at non-cigarette tobacco products. So we have this emerging, especially in, I mean, everywhere, but really in the U.S. too, you know, you have cigarettes, and we know cigarettes are harmful. They're the most harmful nicotine delivery product. And, you know, we've done, tobacco control communities done a pretty good job of, you know, diminishing to the prevalence of smoked cigarettes. But in the meantime, what's been happening is all of these other products have kind of been popping up, and, you know, there's not much that's known from a scientific angle about those. So e-cigarettes are really probably the most well like spoken about, probably the most well popularized of those products. So, uh, you know, a study like PATH will really um, get us a better understanding of like how those products are used by people, what implications that have for addiction, and what impacts those have on user health long term. Great, that sounds so interesting, and I like the acronym because it means like a path, a journey, right? A journey of someone. <laughs> um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, within the non-tobacco nicotine products, sure. is that also including things like Icos? 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 Don't know how it's said. Icos is, is the it way. I, oh, I, okay, Icos. So Icos, yeah, um, yeah, Icos is qualified. It's a little different than an e-cigarette. Mm-hmm. They call it a. A heat not burn tobacco products so what those products do it's got similar features to an e-cigarette mm-hmm. um, but a little different in that there's actually um, tobacco like a tobacco stick that goes is, is inserted into the device and then heats the tobacco just under the point of combustion so there's essentially like a vaporization that happens and people inhale this vapor that contains nicotine so yeah. not quite an e-cigarette e-cigarettes are different because they have a solution um, that contains nicotine. The solution usually is some base of uh, propylene glycol, which is found in fog machines um, and vegetable glycerin. So it's one or the other, some mixture. It's usually some mixture of both, and then that contains um, nicotine flavorants, all sorts of other things. So similar sorts of ideas conceptually, but in terms of the delivery and how it gets there and what that could mean for user health, it's mm-hmm. pretty different. Yeah, and it's another product that I see that is, you know, air quote looking to be healthier or less harmful than a tobacco product. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's been some studies on um, toxicant emissions and things like that. Actually, one of our one of our uh, lab techs from our group uh, did a presentation on the iCoast device right. at the SRNT conference mm-hmm. that you and I just attended. Um, and, you know, 
that's obviously not definitive in terms of what it could expose users to long-term and what that means for user health. So is it really safer? Well, the only thing that will tell is time, right? You know, Absolutely. a lot of these diseases that are um, a product of tobacco use, they have really long latency periods. They take a very long time to develop. So, you know, in the case of ICOs, in the case of e-cigarettes, you're not really going to know if it's like safer compared to a cigarette until, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Absolutely. You're looking at people in studies like you know, PATH or other longitudinal cohort studies where you can see if folks that use those products develop these illnesses. Yeah, absolutely. And small anecdote, I uh, I went for research, I went to buy an ICOS in their shop in London. Oh, cool. And I think they were trying to um, give, uh, I guess, an impression that they were fancy and um, quite upmarket. Mm -hmm. So I I just went to buy one because we were sending it over to Canada to test. Oh, cool. And so I had the money, I was ready to go buy, and it was such a scene from Pretty Woman. I was dressed like a student, <laughs> I walked in, there was so many shop assistants and, you know, just maybe two other people shopping around, all ignored me. And everyone else was dressed smart and they were all just like helping these other people that was there. And I don't know whether it was just me or because I was dressed like a student, but I was like, I literally have money to buy this. I literally have money, why won't you let me? So did they sell it to you? They ended up selling it to me, but after they'd addressed everyone else in the room and when I was at the cash point ready to pay. Oh so. boy. Well, it's you didn't have to like go back in like Julia Roberts did. Yeah, you exactly. Know, and then flash money around. And Dress fancy and go, was, see? It was a wonderful scene. Um, but yes, that's my big memory of ICOS. But um, what else was I going to ask? So I so I've done a small bit of work on e-cigarettes, mm -hmm. and we've looked at four countries: so the US, the UK, Australia, and Canada. And prevalence-wise, the US and UK are higher, generally because of the rules, because right. um, Canada and Australia don't allow nicotine-containing e-cigarettes to be sold. Yeah. But what is the prevalence for US? Do you know? So in in adults in the United mm -hmm. States, a recent estimate from CDC is about three percent. Okay. Of adult uh, mm -hmm. current e-cigarette users, so. Okay. That's kind of an interesting definition. Um, we know that from our other work, most e-cigarette users are current or former tobacco users. The vast majority of people that have never picked up a cigarette don't use e-cigarettes. At least that's what the data show mm. right now. Um, when you're looking at youth, prevalence is a bit higher. So uh, e-cigarettes are pretty popular amongst teens. But, um, those uh, The popularity of e-cigarettes in youth actually exceed those of tobacco cigarettes. Okay. Now... I was looking. Yes, I was uh, looking at slight uses when I was doing it. But my que my question is, I guess, is that do we know whether that's in replacement to starting tobacco? As in, is this uh, so? If youth are picking up e-cigarettes, are they doing that when they would have picked up tobacco cigarettes? Mm. Or is this I've tried tobacco? It tastes like crap. <laughs> E-cigarettes taste nice. Is it a case of I was going to do something anyway? I guess there's a lot of avenues to go down with that, but I, I can't see whether it's like, I can't decide whether it's a good, not a good thing. This, these are words that I don't want to say, but you know, like right. the, the whole less harmful thing with air sure. quotes of, would it be better that they're taking e-cigarettes? Because if they were going to take tobacco anyway, is that better? But then it's a case of, but we don't want them to do anything at all. So then is it right. a bad thing? Right. And, yeah. you know, it's interesting you say that because this is an issue that I have thought about. Um, so the short answer to that question is I don't think there's a very good science base to give a data-driven answer to that question. We do know that, uh, you know, teens are experimental. Mm -hmm. So teens, uh, you know, drug use is very obviously prevalent in adolescent years because teens, you know, tend to just experiment during that time frame. 
um, whether or not e-cigarettes are something that's used as a function of, you know, I tried a tobacco cigarette and it tastes like crap, or hey, there's this cool novel device and all of my friends are using it. Um, you know, I think we still need more data to kind of support uh, good answers to those questions. So I guess I'll, I'll uh, shamelessly self-promote for a moment. <laughs> I'm actually just about to submit a paper. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm leading this paper that's looking at prevalence of exclusive and dual uh, cigarette and e-cigarette use among a sample of youth in Poland. So this is a serial cross-sectional study. And what we're finding is in the survey years 2010 to 2011, um, you had really high prevalence of cigarette use, very small prevalence of e-cigarette use, very small prevalence of dual use. And then what happens is over the next two survey periods, the e-cigarette use rates increased a lot. Right. And what happened as a function of that is the dual use rates increased a lot and the cigarette rates decreased. Okay. So, you know, we don't have... Um, we don't have uh, the data to support in that particular study. Like, is our e-cigarettes a gateway drug? This is something that people love to talk about. Yes. Um, you know, our design wouldn't speak to that because we're not tracking the same people over time in those behaviors. Um, but it would certainly suggest that e-cigarettes are shaking up the product mix mm. for teens. So, you know, they're new, they're cool. I, you know, I use that term air quotes. So yeah. there's something novel about them. Um, and I would say that might have something to do with it. Um, but that's, you know, that's just kind of my read of my one data source. No, no, it's interesting. <laughs> I also love the, the gateway theory because people love that. And I feel like it's taken the shine off cannabis being a gateway drug. Right. It's like, how about e-cigarettes now? It's like, oh. So. Yeah. Yeah. And gateway theory, I have, um, gateway theory is interesting. Um, I think it's, the thing with gateway theory is that I think it does put too much emphasis on the product. Um, we know that from, you know, epidemiology has its, its wonderful, like, breadth of tools, you know, um, but we know from, like, more of the psychological realm that there are individual level predictors that are associated with substance use behavior. So then you get into theories like common liabilities to addictions, and, you know, there are pockets of people that just have increased or decreased propensities to, like, pick up substances in general. So when we're looking at gateway theory, are we really looking at that? Mm -hmm. um, many epidemiologic studies don't control for those sorts of you know, yeah. predictors. So I think that's something that maybe you and maybe you and I can do that. Yeah, we go out into the world, and then we'll figure out all of the real answers. Yeah, to these questions. Exactly. It's funny because I was just having breakfast before I came here, mm -hmm. and there was there were t uh, the people at the coffee shop were discussing the fact that caffeine's a drug, and then someone who was buying the coffee said, "Well, I'd rather be on uh, this drug than any other drugs," and then someone else said, "Oh, well, you know, it may be a gateway to other drugs," and then the guy behind who was the actual the cafe owner said. That's stupid. Gateway theory is ridiculous. It's, it also <laughs> said, after that, it said, everyone knows alcohol's the gateway drug. And I was like, oh, hello. All right, that's interesting. That's all very interesting. Yeah. It's interesting that you would hear that in a public coffee shop. Exactly it makes me kind of happy to hear that it would take place in a public coffee shop because maybe the message isn't completely lost on the public. And you, see so, you just see so much of gateway theory, and maybe that's, you know. What else was I going to ask? Uh, E-cigarettes. I was going to... Oh, no, actually, I was going to ask, because I saw you did a paper on, or you were involved in a paper on um, flavoured tobacco and quit behaviour. Yeah. Is that correct? Could yeah. you talk a bit about that? Because I have so, a question following. <laughs> sure. So uh, that paper, we looked at a large survey of adults in the United States. Um, so this was a population 18 years and older, and it was a population-based... Um, 
nationally representative study. Um, we asked them lots of questions about lots of different tobacco products. I think there were nine or ten total. So cigarettes, e-cigarettes, um, various types of cigars. There's three major types, traditional cigars, filtered cigars, cigarillos. Uh, snooze, smokeless tobacco, dissolvable tobacco, pipes. I'm sure I'm missing something. Was that ten? I'm not sure. Um, so we asked them all of these questions, and then we asked them, you know, was your first use of these products, it provided they were using the products, was your first use of this product flavored, and are you currently using a flavored product? So um, long and short is that my sample size wasn't sufficient to look at, like, each product in specific detail, so we kind of aggregated this look of flavor, or this look at flavors over this, like, distribution of products. Um, so this included menthol cigarettes and included... Um, um, what they call characterizing flavors in tobacco products. So, you know, um, Beetlejuice flavored e-cigarettes, that's one of my personal favorites, or Bahama Mama, <laughs> you know, or Cherry Skull or whatever, yeah. you know, so these types of products. So what we found is that if people reported using a flavor at their first use, they were significantly more likely by like several orders of magnitude to report current use of flavored tobacco products. And when we restricted our analyses to folks that were only using um, non-cigarette tobacco products with a flavor, they had reported reduced odds of quitting tobacco altogether. Okay. That's interesting. So in the U.S., is there, because I'm in the U.K., we've basically just got tobacco and then menthol. Sure. Do you have any other flavors in the U.S. for tobacco? For a cigarette? Yes. So cigarettes, it's just tobacco cigarettes and it's um, menthol cigarettes. Right. So. So you could get them there. I mean, there were certainly people in our sample that they could have reported using, you know, a cherry-flavored cigarette uh, when they first used, but at the time of the survey, that wouldn't have been available. Okay. I will always get slightly confused with the fact of, like, we know that flavors in tobacco is, you know, reduces our likelihood to quit. Or, however, flavors in e-cigarettes are still available. So mm -hmm. it's just, is that... Is that good because it takes people away from tobacco, or is that bad because it gets people on it and you're probably less likely to quit the e-cigarettes? That is the million-dollar question, <laughs> I think, for so many researchers. And, you know, I think I do think, just as somebody that's worked with these data and kind of seen a lot of papers on the topic, you know, the fact that there are flavorants present in e-cigarette products mm -hmm. is a concern when we look at things like youth initiation. I mean, kids, uh, I want to say one of the more recent Monitor in the Future surveys nearly two-thirds of youth reported not using nicotine in their e-cigarettes, but so many of them, I mean, the vast majority reported using flavors. Oh. So is nicotine the concern? I mean, maybe. I think we need more studies to kind of see what, what kids are using and, you know, kind of replicate those results over different types of samples and over time. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of youth initiation, I think the flavorants are a concern. Now you'll hear the other side from folks is, you know, well, if there's flavors in these e-cigarette products, it could entice adults who are smoking tobacco cigarettes to transition to an e-cigarette, and um, maybe that will be like a harm reduction sort of strategy. Um, I don't know those data as mm -hmm. well, to be quite honest. I, what I do know is that uh, the their dual use of cigarettes and e-cigarettes is quite common among adults. Um, it's in fact it's the most common poly tobacco use pattern in the United States among folks that use multiple tobacco products is dual use of cigarettes and e-cigarettes. And um, we know that that you're probably not reducing um, health risks by using both products, yeah. right? I mean, we don't know that for sure because we need longitudinal cohort studies, and this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Um, so you know, we don't know that definitively, but 
looking at um, exposure data, right, like looking at what people are exposed to um, from these substances, you know, it would suggest that if you're going to use a, an e-cigarette, it's, it's probably better. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, that's what I was thinking because with with dual use, you're st- it if tobacco is still in your life, yeah. it surely is still a health risk. I guess, I don't know whether you mentioned this, because I might have immediately just forgotten, but you know when you said with the 3% of current users, does that, does that is that just sole users of e-cigarettes, or does that include dual users that currently use? So my, my understanding from that report is that it includes dual users. Right, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, the reasons people pick up an e-cigarette are, are pretty, they're diverse, right? So um, people pick them up just as the substitution mechanism, like you had kind of alluded to. And then there are people that are like, you know, I really think that my cigarette use is, is harming my health and I want to use this product to kind of transition or reduce my use of conventional tobacco products. And that could be what's happening with dual use. It could be just a simple substitution phenomenon. I think a lot of what goes back, a lot of what we go back to in the e-cigarette realm is like we need more studies yeah. with longitudinal designs yeah. to disentangle these sorts of um questions and really get better answers absolutely i think everything just comes down to more research right. we just we need to know everything yeah, at least it keeps us on a job yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah and especially because what you said right came out in 2004 so uh my understanding is 2007 2007 the u.s market right. um so like mid-2000s and you know it, that's not it, from a from an epidemiologic surveillance perspective, that's not very long. No. So people always want to know, are e-cigarettes more harmful for you? You know, there's these, there's this perception that um, e-cigarettes are more harmful than conventional cigarettes. And uh, 
again, the data from exposure assessments would indicate you're definitely not exposed to as many harmful um, byproducts as you would be to a cigarette. Mm. Um, so I don't know, I forgot what my point was entirely. Um, <laughs> what did I think? Um, it's still early. Yeah, yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it, because if it came out into the market in 2007, right. not everyone would move into that straight away. Right. It's still like a slow progression into being popular. Right. People don't click their fingers and it was like, ah, e-cigarettes, I trust these, let's go buy them. It's word of mouth, it's advertising, it's marketing. Yes. So, you know, potentially it takes a few years for it to get on, which means that that's even less time for us to be, like, tracking and studying. So... You know, ideally from 2007, but that's only like, what, 10, 11 years? When in reality, we've got even less. It's only 10, 11 years. And the other thing that makes e-cigarette research such like a sticky wicket, right, mm. is that over those 10, 11 years, the product spread that's that's yeah. out there is it's totally changing, mm. right? You know, you've had these, they um, refer to, so they, I mean, like the research community. Yay. Um, you know, there's, there's this um, designation of different types of, devices so e-cigarette devices they have like the first generation devices so these are like the ones that look like cigarettes these little tiny sticks with you know the blue light at the end Um, and then you have like what's called second generation devices which they call these pen style devices so they're a little bit bigger they have like they might have a tank with some solution that you can see and then you get into the third and later generation devices that these are those big like big tank systems yeah you can definitely see somebody holding these Um, so when you're tracking like our research here and you know research that's been conducted elsewhere is that all of those different devices generate different levels of exposure to contaminants and they all generate differing levels of nicotine to the user and the user's behavior and the way they interact with the product also matters a great deal you know so the way that people puff on an e-cigarette for instance mm. matters a lot with the way that the nicotine gets into their body yeah. if a user is you know let's say they have one of those big tank system deals and you know they're changing the temperature. Those types of things can influence the amount of toxicants yeah. that go into their body. So when we're looking to answer those questions, like our broad question, are e-cigarettes good or bad? I mean, there's so many moving parts. They haven't been around that long. They're a completely heterogeneous class of devices. So it's not like you can make a broad mm-hmm. blanket statement. Um, there was I'm, I don't know if you saw the recent report by the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. So mm-hmm. they just put out. Um, a very comprehensive review of the literature on the public health implications of e-cigarettes. And there were some good conclusions that came out of that. Um, One thing that they did conclude is that it looks like exposures from e-cigarettes are far lower than combusted tobacco cigarettes. I mean, that evidence is pretty solid. What that means in terms of health risks down the line, not really sure. Not as clear. Yeah. Totally different based on the user, too. Like, different users with different profiles, different levels of nicotine dependence. Um, You know, it's just, it's really interesting. So, lots of questions, lots of studies needed to get better answers. Seems to be my sales pitch this morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think that's it, isn't it? You just need more time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, in our final few minutes, I want to ask you what you're doing with tobacco. Oh, no, you've already asked. I've already asked. I've covered it. I was going to ask what you're doing with tobacco and cannabis, but you said it right at the start. Yeah, I mean, just just working on trying to finish a dissertation. Yeah. Oh, gosh. You know, we're we're working on some studies over here. Um, You know, those are still very preliminary. Um, Mm -hmm. Working with, you know, large survey data sets. So you and I will be working together on 
some uh, kind of disentangling these modes of delivery among youth in three countries, so U.S., U.K., and Canada. In Canada. And I think that'll be a really interesting and informative study mm-hmm. um, because, as you know, there's so much that we don't know. Yeah. Uh, the marijuana research literature is so behind the times, and mm-hmm. there's, you know, considering that um, there's increasing marijuana, you know, liberalized marijuana policies taking place, like, in, in so many areas, um, mm-hmm. we really need to get a better handle on the health effects uh, related to various modes of delivery, you know, what does that mean in terms of respiratory health? What does this mean in terms of psychosocial mm-hmm. health-related outcomes? You know, cannabis. Uh, there was another report on cannabis, actually, um, yeah. National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine, and um, there wasn't a whole lot of firm conclusions that came out of that report, mainly because the research literature is so limited. Mm-hmm. But one thing that was pretty clear is that, you know, if you have an increased risk of um, or propensity to, like, psychoses, right? Mm-hmm. Using cannabis can exacerbate that. It can, like, really lead to some psychosocial harm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are things that we need to consider when we're looking at the tobacco-marijuana interplay as well. And then we ask these questions, like, you know, with modes of delivery, what's harm reduction? Well, what's harm reduction for respiratory illness might not be harm reduction in the other way. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think... Things. So many layers of yeah. complication. And then another layer of complication, you know, a lot of these concentrates, you put them in a vaporizer. Yeah. Yes. So people think of like, oh, this vaporizer, you know, this is safer. It's safer mm. for my lungs maybe or, you know, whatever yeah. the users are thinking because we need better studies to kind of figure all of that out. Um, but then, you know, if, if they're vaping a product that's got, you know, 75% THC content and they're doing this every day or several times a day, you know, that's might be something to be concerned about. I mean, it might not be respiratory health at that point, or maybe it's less of a concern, let's say. Mm -hmm. It's interesting stuff. It is interesting stuff. (laughs) And to be honest, a perfect time to end, just saying that it's very interesting and there's more work to be done. And I look forward to working with you in the future. I do as well. Yeah. So thank you for joining me. Of I don't think I will ever perfect ending an interview, so I hope you enjoyed the show and catch us in two weeks. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.